Hey, Carol, I've got a funny story about my granddaughter. Do tell, Dee. She and Megan were playing outside, and this big bee, probably a carpenter bee, got up in their face. Megan said that Maddie yelled at it and slapped it away. Then what happened? Well, he just kind of bumbled off unsteady, and that's why I'm sure it was a male carpenter bee, because they don't, they're all bluff and bluster and get in your face, but they don't have stingers because male bees don't have stingers. Well, it is a good thing it isn't a wasp, but I'm proud of Little Bit for being so uh, brave. <laughs> She's so assertive. <laughs> <laughs> Type A personality much? Oh, you think? <laughs> uh, Anyway, let's move on. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. We have been talking about gardening all week long. (laughs) We have, because we will confess once again that we are recording this episode on July the 26th, and it will be published on August the 10th. Right. So when we talk about our garden updates, let me thank uh, that'll be in, uh, two weeks. Okay. Carry the one minus five <laughs> divide by three. Okay. I think my surprise lilies will be up and in full glory. I think that there might be a few fall flowers that are trying to push out a little color too soon. And I'll be telling them to move back. So, but like with last week, we will put a full update in the newsletter. So do subscribe. What do you think's going to go be doing in your garden on August the 10th, D? Well, I'm just going to tell what I did because I did oh, something right. yesterday. Um, because I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it'll be hot. That's all I know. Um, I cut back most of my lavender flowers. And so my tip of the week is don't cut into the woody stems. People, I put it on Instagram and I got lots and lots of questions about it and You don't want to cut into the woody stems of lavender or rosemary because it makes them mad and then they start to die on you. And I have one more section to cut back, but I'm waiting to kill some wasps in a nest nearby. I was too tired last night. And you should kill wasps at night, you know, right before sundown so that they're back at the nest. And I said, and then this is the part where I say, I know I don't spray anything. I really don't. But these wasps are right on a walkway, and I don't a little bit to run by and get stung. And the other day, I walked down that walkway, and the wasps got after me. So once it gets hot weather, wasps get very testy. Have you noticed that? They have. And, you know, I was uh, a couple years ago, I was mowing the grass, and I just mowed by this one section, and this wasp came out and stung me. And I'm like, ooh, that wasn't very nice. I'm no. going to kill you. <laughs> and now you're going to die. So, yeah. And now you're going to die, or <laughs> some of your brothers and sisters, because if I find a wasp, they're dead. I, I think all <laughs> the wasps are sisters, but I might be wrong. I think, In fact, I'm sure they are, but that's another deal for another day. I'm not sure how the boys fit into things. So but there was I'm a gonna... giant 
yellow jacket nest. I have this old Ugh. bird or old mailbox in my garden. You know, you mm-hmm. set it on a post. I put nothing in it. And I opened it the other day and there's a big old yellow jacket nest or something. You know, you were lucky thinking. you didn't get stung because those yellow well, jackets can be really aggressive. I, I sprayed them down with the hose until I had destroyed their nest. I felt very evil doing it. And I'm thinking, this is what happens when you nest in the wrong place. They're an invasive pest anyway. Yeah. I mean, occasionally, occasionally, if it's me or them, they got to go. Yeah. And I'm like, you're in my garden. Yeah. So you want to do the quote? Sure. If it could only be like this always, always summer, always alone, and fruit always ripe. Evelyn Wong. So when we picked this quote, the reason we picked it is because I like the part where it said the fruit always ripe. I have had some of the best peaches this year. And I actually made a fruit tray for a baby shower last weekend. And there's a guy who sits up on the corner. I I had a peach tree. I had two peach trees, but they both got borers. And eventually I cut them down, cut the last one down last year. But this guy grows some great peaches. He also grows really good squash, summer squash. I got some of his peaches. I put those peaches on that tray, and people went gaga over them because there is nothing that like right yeah. homegrown fruit. And I, I'm on the lookout for some good peaches now, but I was just going to laugh and say, everybody's peach tree story always ends with, and then it got bores and we cut it I down. I think that's true. <laughs> Unless you're willing to spray, you know, chemicals and I'm just not, it's too much trouble. Um, it's plus I don't want to trouble. kill everything else. So our flower this week was my idea. <laughs> it was hidden lilies. I had never heard of hidden lilies. Curcuma alice matifolia. And so they're also called, uh, well, I can't remember what the other thing they're called, but hidden lilies will work. These are really cool plants. I grew two of them last year because I did a special thing with Costa Farms. And um, like, you know, what is that called? I guess I was an influencer for the day. So I did this thing on, on tropical plants and these hidden lilies came and I didn't know what to do with them. I absolutely fell in love with them. And um, they're great tropical plants for summer. They will bloom all summer long as long as they're watered really well. They can be a little bit hard to find. Sometimes you can find them at the big box store with the L. But this year, I was walking through Walmart, and there they were. And I was like, huh. really? The only problem I have with them is that it seems like the stores bring them out really, really late. And unless you could overwinter them in a greenhouse, I don't know. I don't know if they'd even work in our climate that well. Does that make sense? Because you can't plant them early. It does. It does. Because, yeah. And I'll tell you, I most I had never heard of this um, particular lily. Um, but I haven't been through any big box stores or the big W or anything mm-hmm. looking at plants. So they could be out there and I'm just missing them. But I'm most fascinated because this is a new plant family to me that I have never heard of. Yeah. Weird. It's a weird family. And these lilies are related to turmeric. Yeah. The family is Zingi Beraceae. Z-I-N-G-I-Beraceae. Yeah. Zingi Beraceae. Which is a cool name. And I'm like, that is a cool name. And I don't know where it came from. That I had never heard of them until last year. And um, 
I was going to go over to Costa Farms real quick and see if there was anything else we wanted to say about them. Um, well, send me a picture of one of yours from last year so that if I get a notion, it might be the newsletter picture. We shall see. We will We will see about that. So uh, I think they're really popular in Florida. But what I was looking for was to see if um, where they actually come from. But I'm not seeing anything here. The one I probably grew last year was Siam Sunset and Siam Sparkling. Um, because so that, Okay, I know where they come from. They come from Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're named Siam. Yeah. Until I said that, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. So I assume they come from Thailand. Anyway, they aren't very tall. They're about a foot and a half tall. They look great in containers. As long as you keep them moist, they do well in hot summers because, well, they're from Thailand. And I don't know what else we can say about them, except if you want to see them also, you can go over to my Instagram because since I did that thing with Costa Farms, I did two different uh, deals of them. Okay. I'll link to that in the show notes so people could go check them out. And then um, it's still probably not too late to buy some yet this year to kind of fill in where you're getting some fading blooms elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, you have a greenhouse, you could put them in there. Yeah, because it says that you they go be. dormant even in zone 10, which is, yeah. I would say yeah, that's, my greenhouse is probably zone 10 or 9 in the winter. Oh, so that was, I thought that was an interesting flower that we hadn't really talked about. Yeah, it is interesting. Now, will Carol grow it? Probably not. But it's nice to know about it so that if somebody asks me, I can say, oh, yeah, I know all about that. Zinga Beraceae family. Oh, yeah, that's what I'll do. <laughs> you ready for the next quote? Hit that next quote. Yes, ma'am. Everything good, everything magical happens between the months of June and August. That's by Jenny Han. Jenny Han must live up north because <laughs> it is not magical in my in my garden at all this time of year. Well, Dee, I'm going to pause and tell you that the day of this recording, I woke up to the th- sounds of thunder. Oh. And we had a really nice rainstorm and... I had 0.77 inches of rain in the gauge. So that's why I got a big smile on my face. My garden is sucking up that rain. And then it rained a little bit during the day. And I'm sorry. Listeners, if you could see the face that Dee Nash is giving, and we're not recording the Zoom part of this. She does not like the fact that I got rain and she didn't. I don't care that you got rain, but I'd like some. And they say we're supposed to, it's supposed to get cool tomorrow night. Cool is relative. And we're supposed to get some rain off of that same storm that you're on the lead side of. Because I've been watching that one closely. We're on the end of it. Yeah. So on our vegetable topic, we wanted to give a shout out to the All-America Selections. They're starting to announce their winners for 2023. And they had two vegetables. One of them is called Pepper Wildcat, which is a cayenne pepper. And we talked last week about Scoville units. This one is a mild 500 to 1500. Mild. Very mild. Um, now, it's a regional winner for the southeast and mountain slash southwest. So Explain regional, explain well regional winners. Because I don't think we've ever talked so about that. Well, they've divided the country into regions, and then they'll send out all these sample plants or seeds or whatever. And then within each region, they judge them. And so this has been judged 
to be a winner in those two regions. So it might grow pretty well for you, Dee. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm South Central, but I'm sure it would be okay. I mean, I can grow any pepper here. I'll be honest. I'm good at peppers. Peppers are easy. I think it'll be, I think I could still probably grow up pretty well in my garden too. So I'm going to watch for that. Maybe this, she'll send us some seeds next year for Wildcat. I just like the idea of the name. She probably will. You know, she does, she's really good about that. And the other one, and so this is Watermelon Ruby Firm which is also a regional winner in the West, Northwest, Mountain Southwest. Um, and you remember, I tried to grow one of the All-American Selection watermelons last year, and it, it just sat there and it didn't grow. Yeah. I, and so, you know, I'm not good at watermelon anyway, and I'll be interested. But this one is a winner, and the one you grew last year was not a winner, was it? I think it was a winner, but I'll tell you what, Dee, we are too good of a gardener to say we can't grow watermelon. So I'm going to put down the gauntlet now and say, I'm going to try it next year. Okay, we'll try it. I hate, I, I personally, I hate watermelon. So I don't. Oh, well, don't, bo- don't bother, Dee. I love watermelon. And so this does one my daughter. Said, this is the size of a small personal size melon, like the cantaloupe. So that would be perfect for me. Well, it would be. It'd be perfect for us, too, because it's just not very big. And I don't need a, you know, we don't need this size anymore, the great big honking watermelons. I should rephrase that. I love the taste of watermelon. It just upsets my stomach to eat it. So here's the thing, the the only one thing. So the other watermelon that I tried was a dwarf Mm -hmm. variety, so it had short vines. This says two to three fruits on a long vine. I'm thinking, hmm. I got to think where to put a long vine that would give me two to three fruits. Fruit. Yeah, you almost have to trellis it, I think. I'm thinking I should. I'm thinking that I should. But I also want to give a shout out for the 2022 All-America National winner, Mm -hmm. that purple zebra tomato. I think we should have confetti here. Like, you know, confetti. I feel the same way about it you do. I love that tomato. It's a dark Red with green stripes. It's very pretty. Delicious. And it's almost iridescent. It's the red, and it's delicious too. I mean, it's one of the prettiest tomatoes I've ever grown. And I've grew a lot of pretty tomatoes this year. And, um, but it is exceptional and it has kind of an iridescence to the red. I can't explain it. Very pretty, tastes delicious, beautiful flesh. And you know, this is. This is one of the first ones to start ripening in my garden. Not a hint of too. blossom end rot. Because I've had a big problem with the tomatoes. Um, blossom end rot has been just rampant in there. And the other problem I've had is splitting. So like all my Amish paste tomatoes, they look pretty good. And then they're just split right in half down the middle. Yeah, that always upsets me. And there's several of, you know, we've talked about this before. Some of the ones that are the paste tomatoes, they just are really bad about blossom end rot. And it's, and this, this splitting's a new thing for me, though. Splitting happens usually because you get a big rainfall and the skin can absorb it. Something happened. So anyway, tomato purple zebra, love it. And then I got to give a shout out to begonia viking explorer rose on green which they sent seeds for, and you're like, oh, begonia from seed? But they have just turned out to be beautiful plants, just a lovely, lovely green leaf and these 
bright pink flowers. I'll have to take cool. a picture and post on my own blog about those because uh, they they turn out to be pretty spectacular. I did not start that one because I just didn't have room and I was doing some other stuff. So, because I didn't start any seeds inside this year, I started all my seeds in my greenhouse this time. Ah, yeah. Well, I started these late and they're they're just hitting their stride, but I'm I'm very impressed. And I tell myself I should start more stuff from seed because man, you get some good stuff. Well, you get some good stuff and you can have a lot of plants. Yes, for not very much money. Right? Oh, yeah. All right, let me do the next quote and take us to the bookshelf. August is ripening grain in the fields, blowing hot and sunny, the scent of tree-ripened peaches, of hot-buttered sweet corn on the cob. Vivid dahlias fling huge tousled blossoms through gardens, and Joe Pieweed dusts the meadow purple. Jean Hersey. That's a pretty good uh, description. It is a good description, because I've eaten good corn three or four weeks, and... Yeah, we talked about the peaches and dahlias. I, I, I didn't, I don't have any, I have like one dahlia this year, but Joe Pye weed. That's one more than I have. Yeah. I got a lot of questions about dahlias in Tulsa. And I was like, well, I mean, I have mixed reviews, but that could be for another day. So takes us to our bookshelf. On our bookshelf, we were sent a PDF of what I consider a really good book. And I hope they send me a hard copy. It is a um, a recipe book from two bloggers in Stockholm, and it's David Frink. I'm probably butchering the man's name. I mean, he's Swedish. David Frinkiel, Frinkel, and Louise Vindal. Okay, and it comes out next week, and it can be pre-ordered. And it's called Green Kitchen: Quick and Slow Joyful Vegetarian Recipes for Quick Weeknight Fixes and Slow Weekend Meals. Okay, so. There's been a new, um, in my opinion, there's been kind of a new tendency lately in cookbook writing and in food writing where they talk about the weekend, like, you know, cooking slow, beautiful things on the weekend right. and making that a price, a process. And then you've got to have a food during the week. And sometimes you can repurpose something you've made on the weekend, but you can also add in these other quick dishes. Um, they are vegetarian, and they said they lean toward vegan a few times a week, sometimes. Um, and some of these recipes are vegan and some are vegetarian. There's a lot of good stuff in this cookbook. Um, I'm going to make uh, – I'm going to guess that it might not be Carol's cup of tea because there's a lot of unique ingredients in it. Well, what I was going to say about this is that if I was going to extend my palate, so to speak, and – try different spices and herbs and flavors that I don't normally eat. Mm -hmm. I would grab a cookbook like this um, and I would have to study it pretty good because some of the stuff's like, huh, what is that? Right. I just heard, I hope that was one of my cats. Oh gosh. I just heard this loud noise through my earphones and I thought it kind of scared me. So if that scared our listeners too, it was just my cat. Um, he has a quote in here, which I actually was thought, thought was by Louise, but it's by him because Louise is when they were writing this book was becoming a midwife. And so she was in school. And so he wrote most of the cookbook. It is their sixth cookbook. They are bloggers and we should link to their blog in our show notes. It's called green kitchen stories. And here's this quote, which I really loved. And it was in the intro. It's often said that cooking for someone is an act of love, but it can also be one of self-care, finally chopping carrots, toasting sesame seeds, kneading a pizza dough, 
or folding cardamom buns, just like my grandmother used to do. I mean, that's a very warm, wonderful deal. And then he says later on down the paragraph, but I just wanted to remind you before we get started that even if we love the recipes in this book, cooking is not always a means to an end. The most joyful experience is sometimes the process itself. Embrace it. And that is true. I thought it was wonderful. I have cooked with a lot of these ingredients because when I went gluten-free 15 years ago, I had to learn what people now call flavor bombs or umami. And that's this idea that certain ingredients make intense flavors. And harissa would be one of those. Harissa is a, it's a sauce. And they also have something called a green sauce. Harissa's red, but, and kind of spicy. And then green sauce, it looked to me like it was definitely an herbal olive oil kind of sauce. And so when I ate paleo, um, and I still eat some paleo, I needed some of those flavor, intense flavors, you know. And so one of the recipes that he put in here that I thought looked really good was chocolate cups. It was tahini or peanut butter cups. Um, it, he said it's a great treat to store in the freezer. And there used to be these almond, because you don't eat peanut butter on paleo, you eat almond butter. But there used to be almond butter cups that I used to make with chocolate, and I kept those in the freezer, dark chocolate. They are really good, and they're a good thing to have in there. There were several other recipes that I looked through um, that looked really good, like the yogurt plus oat flatbread that was topped with cherry tomatoes. So they That make did kind look of a, good. Oh my goodness. And can you, we just say, I, I didn't have huge expectations for this book because I didn't know these bloggers. But then after I looked through it, the pictures are gorgeous. They're beautiful yeah. pictures. And um, it's not a huge book, but I love how it's laid out. It's laid out by breakfast. And then it moves on to fast things, which are your um, weeknight dinners, and then your slow things. And one thing that he talked about was in the slow part, because I make smashed potatoes, and smashed potatoes take some time. And he did smashed potatoes with smoky chili butter. I'm telling you, that'd be good. Because when you make smashed potatoes, you boil the new potatoes first, and then you right. smash them and roast them at a high temperature. And if yep. you put chili butter or garlic butter there, oh my goodness, they're so good. So I, I liked the book a lot. I would buy this book. And I don't always feel that way about the books that you know, I look at, I, I don't always buy them. Sometimes I get them from the library. I would own this one. Um, but before people invest in it, cause it's not a cheap book, they might go to their website and, you know, look at the website first and see right. if it's their cup of tea. That's true. Or see if their library has it or we'll get it for them. And they might, if you ask for it, it's really a good book and very warmly written. Yes. I was reading in the intro. It does sound like a very warm book. So that is Green Kitchen Quick and Joyful. I'm sorry. Green Kitchen Quick and Slow Joyful Vegetarian Recipes for Quick Weeknight Fixes and Slow Weekend Meals by David Frankiel and Louise Vindel. And um, I'm just going to say one more thing about vegetarian cookbooks. I started buying vegetarian cookbooks a long time ago because they do interesting things with vegetables. And a lot yes. of times that vegetables are second class citizens in um, regular cookbooks. That is true. Want me to do the next quote? August of another summer. And once again, I am drinking the sun and the lilies again are spread across the water. And that's our favorite Mary Oliver. Very lovely. 
We love Mary Oliver and we love Hal Borland. Nobody can write like they do. Nobody. So, so you, our dirt. You found our dirt, or we both got emails about our dirt that they have uh-huh. just put the monarch butterflies on an endangered species list. And you can uh-huh. provide the details and we'll provide links to this. Okay, so the International Union for the Conser- Conservation of Nature, the IUCN, added monarch butterflies to its red list for the first time. And it's been all over the news. And it's been misquoted in newspapers everywhere because they've said that it is the endangered species list, but that's the U.S. list, and they're not on there yet. So I just wanted to make clear that people that, you know, it's on the international list. And they did it because the North American population has declined by 72% in the past 10 years. And, um, you know, and then they said what we think they think we should do. So then I linked to monarchs on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service just to make sure yet again that they have not put it on the U.S. endangered species list. It's not on there yet, but it probably should be. But if to do it, it you have to meet certain criteria and then certain things have to be done once something's on that list. And so it's a kind of a governmental thing. And here's my thought on these lists. A lot of times these lists state the obvious that yeah. we already know. Right. Duh. And, you know, and much is already being done to help monarchs throughout the middle of the United States and the Western ones in California. And the bottom line is, if you want to help monarchs or any other, well, specifically monarchs, this, plant more milkweed and don't use pesticides and get used to imperfection. If you'll do those three things and deal with the fact that, you know, plants are going to get eaten, it'll be okay. And then when you plant the milkweed, the next thing you're going to ask us is, what are all these bugs on my milkweed? And um, we did a podcast where we talked about that recently. They're milkweed bugs. There's milkweed bugs, and there's tussock moths, and um, there are also aphids. And you can spray the aphids off with water, or you can just do what we told you to do in our last podcast, which is nothing. Um, I know they're irritating, but here's the problem. If you spray them off at the wrong time of the year, you'll accidentally spray off all of your other stuff, like your monarch eggs. So make sure there are no monarch eggs on there, or tussock moths for that matter. I mean, they're they're a monarch, I mean, they're a mimic, a monarch mimic, in terms of their caterpillars are in the same coloration group. So, you know, we're all trying to help monarchs. I know that throughout the corridor, um, different states, including Oklahoma and probably Indiana too, are planting lots and lots of uh, monarch corridor or pollinator corridor pathways. And so that's a big change and that will help things a lot. And out west, that's another whole complication. And if you read that book that we told you about, um, The Language of Butterflies, you yes. will, by, I think it's by Wendy Williams, you will see what's being done in the western part too. Through that. Rabbit holes. Uh, rabbit holes. I'll go first. So last I know week. I talked too much. No. Last week we talked about Gladys Tabor. And I said maybe she was yes. a lost lady of garden writing. She's not a lost lady of garden writing. She's, she's a beloved writer. She did not write about gardening per se. But oh my gosh, there are a couple of websites dedicated to this author. And I don't know that. I mean, I think I recognize the name, but I didn't really realize what she'd written. Me but either. she 
She lived from 1899 to 1980, and she had 50 books, fiction, nonfiction, cookbooks, children's books, plays, poetry. Most of her books about her uh, property in Connecticut called Still Meadow are very popular. She was a columnist in the Ladies' Home Journal and Family Circle, and then later for the Cape Cod Oracle. Um, wow. and a lot of a lot of people like those. And as one person put on her website, Gladys Tabor and her husband, they later got a divorce, went in with another couple, and they bought a country home in Connecticut, which was the thing when you lived in New York City. They are just like we are today. They wanted to get out of the city and the smog and the rush, rush, rush and get out to the country mm-hmm. for the weekend. So they all bought their country homes in Connecticut. And uh, apparently the house that they ended up buying together was quite the um, derelict home. It needed a lot of work in order to be livable. But they, um, I'm going to check out a couple of her books and see. I looked at one novel and Dia. It was her 1914. I'm thinking, that's not right. Cause she'd only been 15 years old. And it's like, uh, something. I think it took place in 1914. It must have been published later. Must have. Yeah. Cause she and wouldn't it was, have been, surely she wouldn't have gotten published it in a no, novel. I think it was, it took place in 1914. And it was about two high school sweethearts, and it's just like, oh, this isn't what I want. But anyway, she might be but my maybe, next. Maybe you would like the ones about Still Meadow. Well, I'm going to, I checked a couple of out from the library, and they'll notify me when they're in, and I'll see. But that was my rabbit hole. I went down and saw it, made sure I understood who Grace Tabber was. Gladys Tabber, not Grace. Yeah, Gladys. Gladys, Gladys Tabor. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was quite the rabbit hole. Mine is not really a rabbit hole, I don't think. Mine's more of a rant. Rant on, girl. <laughs> um, I've decided to no longer read book introductions because, unless the author wrote them, because I am sick and tired of reading these long. First of all, I never liked reading long introductions, but on top of that, I I was really mad when I was reading Kristen Laverne's daughter, and the person who wrote the introduction told you how it ended. That's all wrong. That's wrong. That's a giant spoiler. And it made me mad, made me mad. And I won't share it because it would make you mad too. And also I really got into that cookbook and that might be rabbit hole because I might go to their blog and really start looking at it. And then I've also been researching watering and such in hot climates for the blog. So I've been down a few rabbit holes this week, plus a rant. There you go. There you go. Maybe we could change this to rants and rabbit holes. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, rants and rabbit holes. Although <laughs> our podcast, if people don't come here to listen to us rant no, on about something. We're normally really kind of upbeat and we laugh a lot, which is great. Yes. Even when we rant, we laugh a lot. That's true. So what are you going to what are you going to do in your garden on August the 10th or whatever? Well, as hopefully things are cooling off. Um so I have no excuse not to spend more time out there. I feel like that I didn't do much in July because it was hot for part of the time. So I need to do weeding, deadheading, straightening up, uh, really get started on that border and make sure that I am enjoying my garden. And hopefully I'm harvesting green beans. I hope so. Okay, so I'm going to keep watering in the cool of the morning because I don't see it. After we have this little dip with the rain, it goes right back up in the hundreds again. Um, we sw- We also switched our irrigation system from daytime 
to evening. We start at 9.30 now, which we're, you know, we'll, I'm going to check that and make sure that's still applicable. Because you don't want to do that all the time because it can cause problems overnight watering. But when it's this hot, you have to do it. And then I'm going to keep monitoring plants to make sure nothing dies. And I will finish trimming that lavender after I kill those lady wasps. And I'm sorry, but I have to. There you go. Now, we should tell our listeners, you are watering from a lake source or from a well? Mm, It's from a well. It's an aquifer. So uh, it's compared to me who every time I water, I'm it's cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching to that city water company. We've had this conversation before. It's still cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching because I have to pay for the well to go on and off and it's electric. So that, where that's you, true. you have a water bill, I just have a giant electric bill. So it's, it, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I wish I could figure out how to water from the lake, but that would take some work. That would and it would still work. have to run a, I'd still have to run the pump. You would. It'd just be a different pump. Yes. Well, that is it. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. I hope you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 midnight Eastern time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to the best new thing we've done in a long time, our Substack newsletter, because it has all of the links in it, and it just is really well done. Carol does it. Thank you, The Garden Angelus, you're welcome. The Garden Angelus at substack.com. And it is also link. It's a link in our show notes too. If you want to go there first, and if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission, and it costs you nothing. And it was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye everybody.